lift us up where we belong. You're gay. You just came out on the show. <laughs> Radio Drone. It's 1982. It's actually 2016, but we're going to be talking about 1982 tonight. I am Josh Hadley. Welcome to Radio Drone. With me, as always, is Cecil. Bothered to show up tonight, Trachtenberg. I. You don't make me out to be the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear Peter. I would totally swallow for Daredevil. Gajic. Swallow for Daredevil. Deadpool. I meant. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Honestly, I should probably change my Skype picture because I'm starting to kind of fucking hate Deadpool. We're going to be talking about 1982 tonight, but right now, if you're in 2016, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free clit bumper. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Let's dive into 1982. This is a huge year. I think there has never been a finer year for film than 1982. Cecil and I had discussed it in a previous episode that the, the decades don't really start when the decades start. I think 1982 is the first year that the films are actually 80s movies, that they're not just 70s cast-off. There are so many to pick. What <laughs> is, the, what is the, the movie that sums up 1982 for you? That is an impossible question to answer because you're absolutely right. 82 is the official birth of the 80s. You have uh, First Blood exploding onto the scene, which is Rambo being introduced to the world. You have Jason getting his hockey mask for the first time, which is like, you know, really establishing him as the horror icon that we know him as today. That's what everybody knows him as, the, the hockey mask killer. Everybody knows Rambo. You know, Rocky Three came out, and that was awesome. Wrath of Khan came out. Uh, genre establishing films and 80s establishing films that came out in 82. It's, that's almost an impossible question to answer, but I guess I, I'll just go with um, what I consider to be the standout one for me and that would be first blood because that's by far one of my favorite sort of vietnam vigilante uh movies one of my favorite stallone movies uh one of my favorite like novel adaptation films not only because first blood's a, a pretty great book but i feel like it's one of those movies that actually kind of does it in a in a better way and, and does it in more of a way that makes sense Take, taking more of the action movie survival route rather than what the book is which is really more of a, a horror story and it's just such an such an iconic character like i, I guess if you really wanted to to sum up the 80s as quickly as possible you could just say rambo because rambo was a huge uh, staple of the 1980s and it was it's so awesome when you when you see um, whenever you watch that movie for the first time, it's always so magical. It's always so memorable. Like that's it's really a movie that it, it seems to me, regardless of age, like and people that are my age or younger or older. And they all have really fond memories of, of seeing First Blood for the for the first time, because it really is just a just a fucking kick ass, awesome, badass, gritty film that has a, that even has a lot more heart than I think a lot of people remember it to have. Cecil? Sum up 1982 in one film. Tootsie. Okay. <laughs> e even though it's a smart-ass response, that's your answer. No, uh, I'll, in, in, sincerely, I'll go with The Thing. Uh, it's just an incredible movie. Uh, the practical effects are just bar none, some of the best in the industry has ever seen. Uh, so much creativity going on. The John Carpenter's directing was on point. Uh, it's scary. It's cool. It's got great, memorable characters. It's just such an incredible movie that goes through action and horror and suspense and just a phenomenal movie. And it's tough because, as Peter said, there's so many good movies that came out this year. Even Tootsie, which, I mean, I'm goofing on, but seriously... It's like it is a well-made, funny movie. It's a little bit dated now, but uh, it it's not 
uh, quite as dumb as a lot of people think it is. Kind of like how um, people will openly mock uh, Saturday Night Fever, not realizing like how much of a serious film it is. Tootsie might not be on par with that, but it actually uh, has a lot of interesting concepts to it and uh, some good comedy. But uh, uh, yeah, the thing is just phenomenal, though. And oof, and that doesn't and I don't say that lightly because putting it up against like First Blood and Conan and Fast Times, Dark Crystal, Blade Runner, Poltergeist, you know, Beastmaster. Come on. You know, it's it's a tough year. Friday the 13th, part three. Ratha Khan. I mean, come on. It's, a, <laughs> it's just a phenomenal year. And see, you, you brought it up, but I got to go with Blade Runner because Blade Runner, we would see a shift after Blade Runner. Kind of what Star Wars and Jaws did in the 70s. Blade Runner kind of redefined cyberpunk on film. Heavy Metal did a little bit because because Ridley Scott has opened that, that the Harry Canyon segment of Heavy Metal in 1981 was part of his inspiration. But Blade Runner really defined how we would look at the at a Earth-based sci-fi film from here on out. So I got to go Blade Runner, which as is always the case, was a bomb at the time because that's the way these things tend to work. Well, we also wouldn't see the real Blade Runner until years later anyway. Being older than you guys, I grew up watching the theatrical cut and not having too many problems with it until 1993 when I saw the first director's cut, which I shouldn't have to have put first in front of that, but you know what I mean. See, 1982 was weird. As I said, this is the beginning of the 80s, really, when it comes to film. We'd left the 70s behind. And we'd left behind the 70s filmmaking styles. So now they're fully embracing the 80s. Horror and sci-fi would take much more of a, of a front seat than you, would, than you would expect in even later years. Because I, I'm looking through the horror films and the sci-fi films of 1982, and I'm noticing only about 25% of them are studio films. This was a time when you could make a $1 million independent film and have it released nationwide and get the same kind of acclaim. You could you could have a film like like Forbidden Zone or Time Rider, The Adventure of Lyle Swan, opening right next to Tron. That you wouldn't see so much as we go into the, the 90s. So this was a weird transition time when sci-fi and horror had more legs than it would later on. Let's look at some of the horror films. Again, most of these are independents. But, you know, you've got John Carpenter's The Thing, which is both a science fiction and a horror film. You've also got Tenebrae, although in America we'd call it Unsane, which is both a brilliant and stupid title at the same time. <laughs> we'd have things such as Poltergeist, which, which we've all discussed in great detail in another episode. We had Halloween 3, Friday the 13th 3, because slasher movies are still going here. We have Creepshow, which we also discussed in another episode. We had the remake, kinda, of Cat People. Basket Case, Amityville 2, which again we've discussed because it's crap. You've, you've got things like Blood Tide with James Earl Jones. You've got Boogeyman coming out, which is a fantastically bad movie. Curse of the Cannibal Confederates, Dorm That Drip Blood, Humongous, Last Horror Film, Manhattan Baby, New York Ripper, Pieces, Slumber Party Massacre. This is quite a dearth of horror films from tons of different subgenres all coming out within the same 12 months. And almost my whole episode catalog on YouTube, my favorite Fulci flicks, which is New York Ripper. I think that is just an unsung Fulci classic. It's just anytime you see New York in the 80s, it's, Duck it's you. so... Uh, yeah, the whole crazy duck voice was great. The Donald Duck killer. I, I love the just... Having a, a horror film, especially utilizing New York's very grimy setting, like back before you know New York became gentrified and was obviously much more of a low-income area, and you had pawn shops and sex shops just up and down, you know Times Square and stuff. It it just made for a great setting for a really grimy slasher film, and I I really feel like it's one of Fulci's best movies. It's got a, it's got a great funky soundtrack to it. It's very neon looking. Definitely stands out. And you've got other other classics, uh, lots of cult favorites like like Basket Case and and Pieces and Slumber Party Massacre. Just a lot of my my personal favorites definitely came out in, in 1982. And uh, and and as I as I mentioned, a lot of them are are uh, films I've reviewed on my channel just because they are genuinely some of my some of my favorite ones. I think it was it was a very very solid year uh, for horror films and. A, it seems to be a solid year for part three films, too, because, I mean, besides Halloween three and Friday the 13th part three, which are both fantastic 
And you got Friday the 13th Part 3, as I said, introducing the hockey mask, which, you know, launched uh, the Jason Voorhees character into you know, absolute iconic territory. You've also got Rocky three and Rocky three is also one of the most iconic films of the Rocky franchise. Probably I'd say people might consider that one to be the most Rocky of the Rocky films. Cause it's the first time you see him in like the little American boxer shorts and you got him fighting Mr. T and you got Mickey dying and all that stuff. You got the, I have the tiger theme uh, being used for it, which everybody knows uh, the Rocky films for, even though it only appeared in one film. So really 82 really is the, the year of the eighties. It not only introduced us to new characters, but it established tropes and traits and, and signature uh, signature visual aesthetics that we know characters for from that year and onward. That's uh, what would stay with them. 1982 horror films. It's such a wide variety. Um, again, like Peter had said with the New York Ripper, it's such a crazy, bizarre, giallo film taking place in New York. Um, you know, we had Pieces, which is just amazing. Uh, we had the original Poltergeist, which we've talked, you know, at ad nauseum about because it's so incredibly influential. Uh, Halloween three, Friday the 13th part three, just two, two awesome horror third entries that really set themselves apart. Halloween 3 is so different because it they ditched the Michael Myers for a film which ended up biting them in the ass, but uh, it's a film that had come to uh, get a lot of beloved cult status years later, and Friday the 13th Part 3 being so huge because it introduced the hockey mask. And it's funny because Friday the 13th, uh, the series, there's so many people that uh, they automatically you know, we'll we'll think Jason and the hockey mask. And that's one of those just things that a lot of uh, people that are either like new to horror or I hate to say like, you know, horror phonies, but there is kind <laughs> of a th thing, you know, I, you know, it's kind of like the the like the the nerd culture thing where, uh, you know, I like Pokemon, you know, I like the, the yellow animal. You know, it's like, you know, I like Friday the 13th. It's my favorite horror film. The first movie was so scary when Jason went with the hockey mask and killed people. It's like, oh, God. No, he didn't. Creepshow is terrific. You know, one of the uh, just great horror anthologies to come out because, uh, you know, yeah, there are uh, some some of them are stronger than others. But I like dare you to not be completely creeped out by the freaking roaches one. I mean, ugh. It's just Where's horrifying. my cake, Bedelia? Yeah, that too. Or or Leslie <laughs> Nielsen. <Meteor> shit. <laughs> found, found a friend, have you, Harry? You know, and when <laughs> Ted Danson's got the crab next to him. I mean, oh, it's so so many quotable lines. It's such a good tongue in cheek, like uh, you know, thing. You could tell the people working on it were having fun and making something unique and and uh, also scary, but you know, with a good dash of humor in there. So yeah, eighty two was just really super strong for horror films. You also had some horror films that were cross genre, and I don't mean just stuff like that. It would all like the thing is also a sci fi movie and all that because it's an alien and. You know, crash spaceship involved you have some that still kind of cross genres like do either of you remember q the winged serpent where you've got kwai chang kane and john shaft trying to find quetzalcoatl in new york city that's amazing yeah that was larry clark that, wasn't it no. no that wasn't larry clark it was larry cohen larry cohen my bad yeah larry, larry clark Co is the kids guy totally that's, it would be a totally different movie that certainly would they somebody would be trying to fuck it yeah uh, larry <laughs> cohen uh who also did the stuff yeah, that was uh, one of his more, uh, I don't want to say more bizarre movies because all of his movies are fairly bizarre. But uh, yeah, that one, uh, that's a, I, I actually didn't see that for a long time. I saw that kind of off of the strength of the stuff because I was like, oh, this is such an awesome movie. I need to see what else this guy's done. And then, you know, Q was one of them. I mean, come on, Kwai Chang Kane and John Shaft tracking down an ancient dinosaur laying eggs in the Chrysler building. How do you go wrong? <laughs> and you've got Michael Moriarty stealing this movie from Kwai Chang Kane and John Shaft. How do you do that? You also had other ones such as The Aftermath, that, that Steve Barkett one where the astronauts come back and instead of Planet of the Apes, it's Sid Haig running a gang in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, but it's all graphic and rapey. It's, it's a horror <laughs> movie, kinda. You have stuff like The yeah. Beast Within or even something like Parasite, which Parasite from Charles Band I think the parasite angle is the worst part of the movie. I like this whole kind of run-down, 
overextended future. I like the sci-fi aspects better than I like the horror movie aspects. Is it wrong when I, I don't care about the Parasite in the Parasite movie, but I like the world built around it? Really depends. I mean, if you end up enjoying the movie, that's that's what should count, even if you don't enjoy what was intended to be enjoyed. I mean, it's it's always that's always a better experience. Like the it, it's an age old saying that the, the biggest crime a movie can make is being boring. And obviously it, it didn't bore you. Well, you, you had some other stranger horror films, such as Cat People, the Paul Schrader movie, which is kind of sort of almost not really maybe remake of the original film, but not really because the original film had nothing to do with Cat People. But that's a whole different discussion. But like you have that kind of a weird sexualized horror film or you have something like Swamp Thing, which is a comic book horror film that's kind of light on the horror, but has the horror elements to it or something mm. straight up just stupid like Curse of the Cannibal Confederates. <laughs> it's a horror film. It's just a dumb one. Uh, you know me, I always kind of veer a lot into the weirder stuff. So I've seen uh, a bunch of those uh, cat people, though. I remember um, like that was kind of a big deal, like uh, or at least I remember being when it was coming to like video. There was people making a big fuss over it because Natasha Kinski because uh, it was Natasha Kinski, wasn't it? Natasha Kinski. And whenever she got horny, she turned into a big panther. Right. You know, and and that was like she was the go to girl that's going to get naked chick like i i believe god have i seen because there's so many like curse of the cannibal confederate kind of you know there's there's uh blood sucking pharaohs in pittsburgh like there's all those long humorous title movies so sometimes i mix them up so uh, i i think i've seen that one but i don't know for sure i'd have to got track it down again and watch it but uh you know yeah there's there's a lot of weird ball stuff i i what the hell you know i i liked i like that kind of stuff because it's like it's they're taking chances they're doing stuff differently they're doing stuff weird so a lot of times they work you know if they don't work a lot of times they're spectacular failures and sometimes that actually ends up being even more entertaining a cat people's uh that's a pretty cool one strangely enough my mother introduced me to that movie because of her love for david bowie and cats i guess i watched that at a fairly young age maybe 13 or 14 years old and remember finding it uh kind of funky and trippy and weird and with a great soundtrack i think that that movie probably made me a fan of david bowie's music i think that i think that's my earliest memory of hearing his music so hats off to cat people for that one not just horror 1982 was a big year for sci-fi because you, you had you had stuff like Android, which I think is a, a criminally undervalued film, but you also had Beastmaster coming out, Blade Runner, Class of 1984, Conan, The Dark Crystal, of course E.T. E, this was the year of E.T. You had cool stuff like Flight of the Dragons, The Last Unicorn, The Insanity, that would be Liquid Sky and Human Highway, Disaster, that was Megaforce. You had Pink Floyd's The Wall, Wrath of Khan. Sword and the Sorcerer from Albert Pune, his first movie. Tron, of course, the, the really big one. Time Walker about the space mummy. And, and then the Sean Connery satire that no one else besides me has seen, Wrong is Right. This was a great year for sci-fi. From the really big and awesome epic ones like Wrath of Khan and the, you know, the the big blockbusters like E.T. And, and stuff like that. The sort of the magical movies you remember as a kid. And then, of course, there's the fun stuff like I, I can't help but love Megaforce. That I, th I find that to be just a utter blast of a film. It falls into the same sort of Flash Gordon category where it's very bombastic and it's got it's got that great synthy score and everything is shiny and everything is ridiculous and it's just a fun to watch the whole way through. Even movies like Halloween 3 you can consider it does fall in the horror category, but it is very much sci-fi. It's got, you know, it's got cyborgs in it. It's got like an evil corporation that's you know, bent on killing people. And there's a weird supernatural element to it, too, with the whole Stonehenge thing. Uh, that's, that's a very cool movie. And Class of 1984, which you can't technically really call science fiction, but I guess you could call it sort of dystopian in a way because it's it's showing this real downfall in, in society and uh, teenagers are almost like taking over and schools are becoming more and more violent and, and the gangs and everything are, are, are much more savage and just brutal. And that in itself is just another another fantastic movie. You know, what's to be said about Blade Runner other than the fact that it, it really is one of the, the greatest films in the cyberpunk genre and it spanned so many, so many movies inspired by it, you know, later on down the line. Yeah, Nemesis, which is one of my favorite ones and 
saw Blade Runner because it kind of had a Blade Runner sort of vibe to it. And I rented it from the video store and watched it many, many times. And if, if not for so huge and so ambitious and, and took so many risks, obviously it didn't do as well as it deserved to do in its in its opening weekend, didn't make nearly as much money as it, as it deserved to make until it eventually did with all the re-releases and and directors, God knows how many directors cuts, but it's just such such an awesome, iconic, awesomely shot neon synthwave, just epitome of the '80s film. Like it's just one of those movies that when you think of the 1980s, you think of of something like Blade Runner. Well, one that comes to mind, and it's it's sci-fi in a way, but it's a kind of action and drama. It's a lot of things that a lot of people forget about uh, is Firefox. Now, Firefox, uh, what a lot of people complained about at the time was that uh, he didn't, or should I say, when it didn't, you know, do as huge as they had hoped, the like sh- Firefox ship or airplane, whatever jet plane, like really wasn't in the movie that much. It wasn't it was like most of the movie, it's Clint Eastwood trying to intercept all this information. And eventually, you know, he gets the the aircraft and then it's like really awesome. But uh, leading up to it, it's like a really good kind of spy movie with like some action elements. And uh, I have always thought it was kind of a cool flick. Beastmaster is a little more in the fantasy genre, but, uh, you know, it does have some science I, inc- I, I include sci-fi and fantasy together. That's why I put in, like, Dark Crystal, Conan, and things like that in the same category. I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I love Beastmaster. Beastmaster's just a, such a phenomenal film. Uh, Megaforce, I'm with Peter. I don't give a crap. It's so much fun. It's just big and loud and shiny, and everybody's got big hair and ridiculous skin-hugging outfits. The good uh, guys always win. Yes. Even in the 80s. Even in the 80s. Even in the 80s. <laughs> Love that shit. Deeds, not words, bitch. I've never understood that. That's on the cover. It's never actually said in the movie. I just watched the movie three weeks ago. They never say deeds, not words once, but yet that's the, the tagline for the movie. If that's going <laughs> to be your tagline, maybe have a character utter it at some point. Well, maybe no, they I, did I don't and think they so. cut it out. I don't think that needs to be uttered. It's deeds, not words. Exactly. You know what? That makes perfect they, sense. That quote is in the movie by them, you know, doing their deeds. They're not saying it. They're just, they're fucking doing it. In, in front of really awful rear projection. <laughs> really. Okay. Now we'll, we'll talk about the Razzies later. Michael Beck was nominated for a Razzie for Megaforce and he absolutely deserved it. I, like I said, I just watched this a few weeks ago. I don't know what the fuck he thought he was doing with that corn pone Southern character he was playing with all of his little sayings, like everything. Man, that's hotter than a frog on a hot winter day. What? <laughs> I don't know what. The, I swear Michael Beck was high the entire time he was making this movie. He deserved his Razzie nomination. Doesn't matter. Awesome. <laughs> but then you also had the weird sci-fi movies. Either of you guys ever seen Liquid Sky or Human Highway? I saw Liquid Sky like once, but I didn't see. Uh, was the other one Human Highway? Human Highway is Neil Young. Yes, that Neil Young made a movie starring Dennis Hopper and Devo. Uh huh. There is a gas station, a nuclear power plant, and a diner are the only things that exist in a town that's being irradiated, and it's about the music business, and it's a complete mindfuck movie really escaped more than released. Human Highways of Human Highway has got cult film written all over it, and they had to have known that in 82. Human Highway, I actually really enjoy because it's so freaking bananas. It's definitely something that is one of those rarities that this, you said it perfectly with this movie wasn't released, it escaped. I can't imagine them going in like, all right, here's what we're going to do and really being able to sell this picture. The only thing I could Im- imagine is that they were like, look, we got a movie and we got Devo in it. And they're like, okay, good enough. It's crazy. Uh, I saw Liquid Sky. Uh, I was entirely too young to be seeing Liquid Sky. Uh, I, 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 I you totally didn't get it then. No, I really did not get it. I actually, um, I had... I had my sister rent it for me because like the uh, the guy at the video store, like I was too young, you know, he wouldn't wouldn't rent it out to me. And uh, so she she rented it 
and uh, I watched it and I did not understand it at all. And then I came back to watch it again years and years, years later, and I still didn't entirely understand it, but I kind of got what they were going for. But I just think that it's I think that it was just a weird, not particularly good movie. No, it's not particularly good. It's the best way to describe Liquid Sky is an idea that either didn't go far enough or went too far. That's up to the viewer. Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, but then you you had other big big ones come out this year. You you had Tron, which bombed horribly, but this was still Disney was trying to do this whole live action thing like they had for the previous couple of years with Black Hole and something wicked this way comes and that and just Disney could not find a live action hit in this period. I think Tron is a fantastic movie. It doesn't hold up to scrutiny, but I enjoy the hell out of it. And then of course you had Star Trek 2 arguably the best of all of the Star Trek films. And then the big one. This was the year of E.T. to the point where John Carpenter straight out blames E.T. for why the thing failed. Because (laughs) E.T. came out two weeks before the thing was released. And everyone was all looking for a happy alien and happy aliens and fun visitors then dog facers are being ripped open and chests are biting arms off and things. And yeah, people just were not were not open to John Carpenter's The Thing as they might have been three weeks if it had come out three weeks earlier. Yeah, it's kind of hard to deny. Uh, E.T. just dominated and uh, became just an iconic movie. It's also interesting because if something that like that had come out today that a movie uh as successful as something like et i think we'd be on like et4 by this point like i'm always amazed that they i know that they had a script for uh like et2 but it just never happened and uh, i don't know i kind of have mixed feelings about that because i genuinely love the first movie i know it's a an easy target for people to kind of pick on, but it's got a lot of heart and uh, the, the the animatronics for E.T. are amazing. The story's very funny and heartwarming and uh, it's just, it's cool. I mean, the the non-Spielberg meddled with version, you know, where they still have uh, guns and uh, not freaking flashlights. It uh, just bothered the hell out of me that he felt the need to like change a movie 20 years after the, or however long after the fact. And then that kind of became like the definitive version. It's like, hey, I'd like to watch the 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 original one. You know that you know I can't. I can only watch that on VHS. Uh, wonderful. You, you mean you don't like the scene where they're aiming radios at the kids? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think that that was that brief period where uh, where Spielberg kind of lost his mind. Uh, was listening to Lucas a little bit too much and going back and you know fixing your movies. And it's like, look, uh, for better or worse. You can I I don't think that there is a problem with going back and doing new edits like I understand with like Ridley Scott, you know, going back and re-editing stuff. But like when you're going back and and adding CGI into stuff and altering scenes and eh, it's not particularly necessary going back and adding in flashlights over guns. And I mean, it didn't look right. It just made it look stupid. And uh, I I think that that's really egotistical and wrong. I can see why E.T. was such a huge movie. And I'm a much bigger fan of John Carpenter's The Thing. Obviously, I feel like that's that's really the ultimate uh, aliens movie of that year. Uh, but I can see why so many people loved uh, E.T. a lot more, I guess, because it is a much safer film. It was more kid friendly. It was very heartwarming and heartfelt. It, it leaves you with, uh, I guess, very cuddly feelings. But the end of it, I, I didn't know that there was a version where they added uh, added uh, flashlights and radios over the guns. I guess I've only seen it on VHS. I, I don't think that last time I saw that movie, it was probably like five years old so I, I don't even remember them doing that that's uh yeah spielberg would definitely pulled a, a george lucas and decided to rape his own films but yeah i'm i'm much more of a fan of the thing but i can see why et was what it was and and why more people flocked to go see that and maybe why john carpenter's more horror-based uh alien movie didn't do quite as well because yeah people were uh, there was more of a friendly friendly alien year uh people were were more into the et sort of thing and not so much on the human replicating evil uh tentacle lovecraftian monsters that uh, rip open dog faces something like pink floyd's the wall that's a movie that wouldn't become appreciated till the 90s really but then you have something like wrong is right 
a movie that is basically network for the Fox News crowd. It's the hard copy version of what network was in the 70s. 48 Hours, the film that arguably started the buddy cop genre. No, there had been buddy cop things before. The Dirty Harry movies, you know, he always had the funny interactions with his partners and that. But 48 Hours set the tone. Everything that, quote, buddy cop movies would go and do for the next 25 years. So you've got you've got that coming out. You've got steaming piece of art crap that is Butterfly. Death Wish 2. Michael Winner, Michael Winner's violence porn. You've got Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Chuck Norris and Forced Vengeance. You've got Grease 2. You've got strange shit like the pirate movie, Porky's. Lots of really, really nice little uh, little cop movies and of course vigilante movies uh death wish 2 uh to me is arguably the the best one of that series uh probably the most shocking for sure that one's really really got some uh, uh nerve-wracking and horrifically savage scenes like where you know when his his maid gets raped and what happens to his daughter and, and stuff like that but I, other... I agree with that but on a filmmaking level it's a incredibly poorly made movie the sound design is like it was done at the last second. The editing, the edits, you can almost see it, it, it's smash cut. It's all smash cuts. There, There's no subtlety to the lighting. It's like Michael Winner forgot how to make a movie for this one movie. I, I never really had any problems with how it looked. I mean, I, I guess too much... Uh... Too much focus is on how much of a badass Charles Bronson is being, and and that fantastic uh, score by Jimmy Page. Forty Eight Hours, of course, another another. That's a great one, and I think that that is one of the original sort of buddy cop movies. I'm sure there were some before that that were maybe a little more obscure, but this one really made it sort of more into the mainstream, where you had that kind of uh, odd couple pair up of the straight man and the funny man. You know, one's one's kind of gritty and rugged, and the other one's more kind of funny with the uh, you know, the catchphrases and whatnot, and of course, you know, a fantastic example of just how awesome Walter Hill is, and all the all the other ones you mentioned too. Like, yeah, there's some very very cool uh, crime and and action films and vigilante films that came out in that year, uh, and those those to me, Forty Eight Hours and Death Wish Two are are two of the best ones. You know, straight into when uh, Cannon got into the uh, the Death Wish business and uh, had Paul Kersey going around just killing bad guys and uh, becoming an icon. Just such an unlikely action hero. You believe in Jesus? Yeah. You're going to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> that, know, that is amazing. Yeah. That um, Madman is a, is a great slasher. Yes. Oh, I forgot that that came out in 82. Yeah. It came out right in the beginning of 82. 48 Hours is awesome. I should, Yeah, I got to go back to that, though. That's just really 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 did set the uh template for so many buddy cop movies to follow and eddie murphy was on point you had uh, uh nick nolde just playing such a good uh doing the the straight man against eddie murphy's just ridiculousness have, have you ever seen butterfly no peter nope butterfly is one of the most divisive movies of 1982 and i'm on the it sucks train but there are people who defend it as an art film it stars Stacy Keach and Pia Zadora. It's also got James Franciscus and Orson fucking Wells in it. Pia Zadora is Stacy Keach's long-lost daughter that he never knew he had, and they start having an incestuous affair, and then the town is against it, and there's gold mining, and then it turns out maybe she's not his daughter, so they maybe did nothing wrong, and it's supposed to be this, like, forbidden love story. And, oh my God, is it a piece of shit. But there are people that'll defend it for its themes and the way it's directed is in such a way that it brings you into their... Oh, shut up. It's a piece of crap. You know, and well, and then you, you had some key comedies this year, too. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a strange one to me. As a film, it really has no plot. I love so many of the vignettes within the movie. I can't dislike the movie, but you really... You really can't find a plot in this movie. There's no plot to it. It's just a series of random events that happen to be really entertaining. Yeah, Fast Times is great, and it really doesn't have a plot. It's just kind of the the lives of these people going through. I, I believe it's their last year of high school, and it's kind of showing uh, who they've uh, developed into and stuff. Uh, my, my favorite character was always uh, Judge Reinhold, uh, just because he's, he's always on edge and just 
seems to be stressed about everything, and there's you, you got know, caught the, masturbating once by Phoebe Cates, didn't you? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, haven't we all been? Yeah, just God. And his character at the end when he like uh, when he hits the uh, the guy trying to rob the the convenience store over the head with the the, the coffee thing, and then you got uh, you got Sean Spicoli Penn, who just at, at that time it's so weird what would he would end up growing into uh, you know him uh him reacting to it and just yeah it, it's a movie more more or less about the the random vignettes of the of the characters rather than any actual plot because it didn't really have one it, it really was just i don't know if it's a, it's a character study or just a look into like life in the 80s as a teenager and kind of uh you know, going through that arc in your life of being in senior year of high school it's kind of that fringe between kid but you're you're about to to fully become an adult and you have to start thinking about your future and, and all that kind of shit and I, I think um i think that movie did a did a good job of it um there are aspects of it that that are annoying there are aspects of it that are fun the characters are very colorful and some of them are are very relatable um fast times at ridgemont high gives you kind of kind of all of that it's a it's a, it's a variety and uh I, I liked it for that of course you had other other comedies at that time uh you know, raunchier comedies like porkies and and stuff like that so it was a, it was a good uh, good year for comedy too um i'm i'm more for the sci-fi and horror of that year but there are some uh, some solid comedies like like fast times for sure Fast Times, uh, Cameron Crowe actually went undercover uh, as a high school student and because he was researching the book that he was writing that was called Fast Times at Richmond High. Like the book hadn't even been published yet when it got picked up for a movie deal. And a lot of the reason as to why the movie really doesn't have a plot per se is because it kind of followed like what he went through. It really he now he never put himself in the book because uh, he felt that it, you know, that would be disingenuous. He wanted the uh, the book to kind of be about the students. So it was all about like the different stories and different things that happened. So when they made the movie, they kind of went with that. They went with here's a bunch of kids that are all somewhat intertwined with each other but not really and kind of told that story and it's like well here's this girl losing her virginity and then kind of turning into uh, a little bit of a slut and then uh, you know the nerdy kid who's really in love with this girl and then you have phoebe cates and uh, how judge reinhold like is like secretly infatuated with her and so many different like really funny like cool aspects and i think it does a very good job of just showing a side of high school that doesn't always get looked at it's like you know here's a bunch of kids that are all just trying to uh deal with their hormones that are trying to deal with uh just life in general and uh, it's it's not done in like a comedic way like like there's funny things that happen but it's not like like overly like all right over the top shit that happens uh, like porky's was just really ridiculous stuff that was happening and i love porky's i think it's hilarious but it's definitely more comedy whereas uh i would say that fast times Ridgemont high is more like drama that also has a lot of funny parts to it Night Shift, the Ron Howard movie with Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler. I think that movie, the, the drama parts I don't think work. The whole love story with Henry Winkler falling in love with the prostitute when he's the reluctant pimp and all that, that to me falls flat. Everything with Michael Keaton in this movie is gold. Michael Keaton is amazing in Night Shift. What are we really talking about here? Huh? What's the essence of what we're talking about? I'll spell it out for you if I have to. Prostitution. Hmm? What, what is it? Prostitution. Hey, we can say it. We're big kids now, right? You know, a lot of times it'll help you to understand a word if you break it down. So let's do that now, shall we? Pros doesn't mean anything. Forget about that. Tit, I think we all know what that means. Two, okay, two, tit. And shun, of course, from the um, Latin, to shun, to say no, uh-uh, thank you anyway, I don't want it, to push away. It doesn't even belong in this word, really, so let's get rid of that. You know, um, if I can take a moment here, uh, and I mean this, what I'm about to say. 
I feel a lot of love in this room. I don't know, maybe it's me, but I'll tell you something, I was here a minute ago, and uh, it's really beautiful. So at this moment, I think it's important that I see all of your breasts. Or I don't have to. I don't see the breasts. Come on, let's get out of here. This guy's no pimpy. So I, I say you need to watch Night Shift for him alone. 1982 was also the official end of New Hollywood. See, so before Peter was on the show, you and I talked about New Hollywood in a previous episode. One from the Heart came out this year, the Francis Ford Coppola movie that ended New Hollywood. So as we're ushering in the 80s, we're ushering out the New Hollywood movement of the 70s. So in a strange way, there's a nice dichotomy to that. You also had the whole phenomena of studios making a movie and then being so scared to release it is not something new. This year also brought us White Dog. Have either of you ever seen Sam Fuller's White Dog? Uh, no. Mm-mm. It's a story about racism where somebody trained a, an all-white dog to only attack black people. And <laughs> wow. I'm not, I'm not, no, it's a serious movie. It, it, it's, the entire <laughs> point is Paul Winfield trying to talk about how racism cannot be cured. Because Christy McNichol gets this dog and she insists that his, his racism can be cured. The plot twist at the end is it, they overcompensate and now he'll, he hates white people. And the whole point of the movie is racism is something that's so ingrained in us it cannot be cured. Once it's there, it has to be dealt with. Paramount was so frightened of this movie once they saw it, they didn't even release it. It didn't, it didn't technically come out other than a few art house theaters until it came out on VHS years later. White Dog is an incredibly powerful movie that nobody has seen. Apparently neither of you had, so. No, no. I'm going to see I, it now because I, I want to watch a movie about a racist dog. That sounds uh, <laughs> sounds hilarious. All it needs is uh, for the dog to be voiced by Eric Roberts over the phone. <laughs> but we, we also got to talk about the Razzies. The Razzies were won by Inchon, a film that I think deserved the best, the worst picture Razzie. Lawrence Oliver won for best actor in Inchon. Pia Zadora in Butterfly. Oh, my God, did she deserve it. Ed McMahon in Butterfly as well. The Pirate Movie. The pirate movie, Ken Atkinson tied for Terrence Young for Inchon for the pirate movie. Now, the pirate movie's not a good film. Worst? No way. Have either of you seen the pirate movie? Which pirate no. movie? That, that's the title, the pirate movie. Oh, uh, no. I saw the Pirates of Penzance. I saw Ice Pirates. <laughs> Shut up. We'll talk about Ice Pirates in a, in a, couple, in a couple of years because that's a great movie. For the Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Gandhi. Best Director went to Richard Attenborough for Gandhi. Best Actor went to Ben Kingsley for Gandhi. Best Actress was Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. So this was kind of Gandhi's year, but the box office is where there are some surprises in here. Obviously, E.T., number one at the box office. There's no debate there. The one that surprised me was Tootsie being number two. That one took me a little off guard because I forgot what a hit Tootsie was. Oh, Tootsie was huge. And then another one, Officer and a Gentleman. I do not like this movie at all, but it was the <laughs> third highest grossing film of 1982. Oh, dude, that movie is really good. Oh, shut up. Come on, the the lift is up where we belong. You're gay. You just came out on the show. <laughs> hey. No, it's a very good movie. And I'm like, and I'm not like, I mean, it's, it's got like a lot of really good aspects to it. The, the, the acting is tremendous. Like the story I think is really interesting. I don't know. I've, I've always just kind of liked that movie. I've always found it pretentious and idiotic. Who is in that one? uh, Richard Richard Gere. Gere, Or I was, I was thinking either Richard Gere or Kevin Costner. One of the, one of those. Peter. I never liked, uh, I never liked that movie. I thought it was, yeah. I I don't know if I'm with you on pretentious, but it's just one of those like, eh, like typical, just very ham fisted romantic kind of movies. Like it's, it was sort of the, I see it as the Titanic of 82. Very, very, very overblown and just, uh, like sickly sweet. And it's, uh, the way they portray the the romances and stuff, and it's just f***ing irritating. Kevin Costner, he's not in these kind of movies yet. He's still in trauma films at this point. That's Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, he was in, uh, what, he Sizzle Beach? Quite, uh, Sizzle Beach, USA, yes. He hasn't quite uh, surfaced yet yeah. from Waterworld. Well, and, and, then, and then you had, this will make Peter happy, the fourth highest grossing film, Rocky Three. 
<laughs> and then you had Porky's, Star Trek Two, Forty Eight Hours, Poltergeist, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. That's another surprising one. Wow. I, I I actually kind of enjoy that movie on a on a weird level. Maybe because my mom watched it all the time when I was growing up, but I was surprised that was such a hit. And then finally, ugh, Annie. <laughs> oh God! Never yeah. liked that movie. I I do remember that like. Uh... Yeah, uh, that's one of those movies that, uh, I mean, because it was originally, it was a Broadway play first, right? Well, Little Orphan Annie was the old comic strip character as well. Oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, and then it, then it, yeah, and then they redid it recently with Jamie Foxx, and like, I'm like, and they were surprised that it bombed. So 1982 was kind of a transitory year. We're finally casting off the 70s, and like I said, New Hollywood is over now, and we're starting to embrace the 80s. Now, as these years go on, we're going to notice just how much more 80s some of these years get than other years. But sum up 1982 in film. Hockey masks and Vietnam veterans kicking ass. Hey, woman. Hey, woman. Why don't you come (laughs) over here and see a real man? (laughs) You want it? You got it. Go for it. Morons. I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> so, Peter, where can people find you being an idiot? You can find me being a big, big idiot on Twitter, at YouTube, The Cinemasochist, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com when Cassandra relaunches the new site. You can buy a fing t shirt. Cecil, where can we find you being wrong about everything? You can find me being absolutely 100% correct most of the time at <laughs> escapistmagazine.com, uh, goodbadflicks.com, and all your favorite social media type things. Wait a minute. So you're 100% correct most of the time? Those absolutely. two statements are kind of contradictory, buddy boy. That's why that's one of those times when most I'm not 100% correct. Most of the time, correct. all of the time. <laughs> most of the time, all the time, yes. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, 1982 was a great year, and you should check out all of the films we mentioned and a bunch that we didn't, because I know I always get emails about, you forgot this, you forgot this. Yes, the show's only an hour long, okay? So, guys, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
he was met at the gate of Hades by the guardian of the lost souls, the keeper of the unavenged. And he did say to him, Let ye not pass, Abaddon. Return to the world from whence ye came, and seek payment, not only for thine own anguish, but to vindicate the souls of the unavenged. And they placed in his hands a sword made for him called Vengeance, forged in brimstone and tempered by the woeful tears of the unavenged. And to carry him on his journey back to the upper world, they brought forth their demon horse called Black Death, a grim steed so fearsome in might and black in color that he could stand as one save for his burning eyes of crimson fire. And on that night, they rode up from hell. The pounding of his hooves did clap like thunder. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.